All right, we are in John 5. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 15. All right. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was on the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Amen. Would you stand with me? Father, we find it a great privilege to be able to read the Bible. And here we have before us one of those stories about a miraculous healing of a man who probably by this point thought it was impossible that he would ever be whole. And I would pray this morning, right now, against a spirit or a mindset that would say some things are impossible. Father, really what we want to know is your desire. What is it? And therefore, with God, it's all possible. So Father, this morning I pray for faith in the room. For those who are lacking in faith or have none, or for those who feel like their faith is shaky, I pray that our combined belief in a God of miracles, would come together, and as we place our hope and trust in you, that we would be able to see days of heaven on the earth. That as it was with this man 2,000 years ago when Jesus commands him to take up his bed and walk, that Father, we would see you do some things like that in our day. And so we pray again for all those last week who came forward and we're prayed for for physical healing. That, Father, for those who have not received yet, we ask for faith that you would speak to them about this area of their lives and that we would continue to press into you, God, and to realize it's not, it's not our will but yours that we're asking for. And so I pray this morning that with wisdom and with faith that we would be able to look again 
for a second week in a row at this truth about healing and that we would be able to believe, that we would be able to trust and that we would actually see what we're asking for transpire because we trust you, because we believe in you and we have studied the scriptures and at some point, Lord, we have to step out and believe and act. So I pray today that faith would rise, that our minds and hearts would be clear, that we would be biblically founded Christians, but that we wouldn't use the Bible as an escape from risk and faith. That we would say, based on this, I'm gonna have to step out, based on the truth of your word. So I pray now that you'd bless the teaching, this prophetic moment that we're in, as we talk as a community about what you're doing and what you're saying now, right here, right now, among us, God, we pray for good to happen. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen, amen, amen. You can have a seat. This morning, John chapter five, as Jacob read for us, um, this is gonna be sort of a part two of last week's talk on healing. And many people last week came forward, as I mentioned in the prayer, to have the elders anoint them with oil, as James five tells us that we ought to do. Um, I'm curious, did anybody this week who got prayed for last week experience any healing in their life? Anyone? Don't make it up, but if you did, we need to hear about it. Zach Duncan needs some healing. He broke his ankle this week, so we can pray for that. Um, anybody experience any healing this week? There's a story that you have, to, you have to ask Ben and Laura Alston about, but several weeks ago, we prayed for her because she was having some complications with the pregnancy, and literally... As she left the building, the doctors confirmed that whatever condition she was in that could have led her to be bedridden or whatever, have to go to the hospital, uh, was gone. And so God did a work in her, and we're just going to continue to believe. Yes, yes, you can clap. Um, cue to clap. Cue the clap sign. Um, so, so therefore, um, we're just going to keep believing with you uh, who prayed last week that God wants to heal you. But what has been sort of rattling around in my soul this week from John chapter 5 are two statements that Jesus made, and I'm really gonna hang our time on those two statements, and one is a question, and one is a comment that Jesus made to this invalid, this paralytic man, this man who was crippled in whatever way, shape, or form he was. Um, and the first statement that Jesus makes is actually in a question form, and he asks the man, do you wanna be healed? Do you, or as the King James puts it, wilt thou be made whole? And then there's the follow-up after the man is healed. Jesus makes this comment in verse 14. He says to the man, so now that you've been made whole, stop sinning because the next time it could be worse. And I want to talk about those two particular statements that Jesus made this morning. And I really, I was telling the worship team this morning, my spirit is stirred within me. And uh, I, I'm praying that whatever God is stirring within me would translate and that we would hear the prophetic word of God. Um, when we talk about the Bible, there is what we would call the logos word. That is the written word of God. That is this, the black and white. You can read it and study it. Then there's a word in the Greek, which is rhema. And that's the spoken or forthcoming or right now word of God. Like the Bible says things like the word of God is living and active. That idea of the living and active word of God that comes right here, right now in a prophetic way that says, we're not talking about an ancient text 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. We're actually stepping into the here and now and we're saying from the logos, we get the rhema. 
And I, I do have this sense that God wants to speak to today. How many think that church is sometimes a prophetic place? Not just a place to study the ancient text, but a place to say, this ancient text mixed with the Spirit of God through the guidance of the Holy Spirit could say, to you today, be made whole. And so I believe that Father is speaking and wants to speak to us this morning, and I'm just praying that we would hear what He has to say. So with the time that we have this morning, we're just going to unpack those two statements of Jesus. But I do want to set you in to the context of what's happening At this time, Jesus was in Jerusalem for one of probably three feasts. We don't even know which one. It may have been Passover, may have been Pentecost, may be the Feast of Purim. But he was in Jerusalem for one of those three feasts, most likely. And he comes to the famed pool of Bethesda. And Bethesda is an Aramaic word, which there's a little bit of debate about what it meant, but it probably just meant house of outpouring. And it's a great place to find healing at the house of outpouring. And so Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, and if you went to Israel today, you could actually go to St. Anne's Church in Jerusalem, and they've excavated the old pool of Bethesda, and you could actually see it and and, and witness this was the place where men and women who were crippled and unable to walk or, or had some disabilities would come, the blind and the lame, to find healing. And it's a little bit of a mystery as to how this miracle took place. Um, You may have noticed in your Bibles, look down at your Bible for a second, um, that in some of your translations, the last part of verse 3 and all of verse 4 is omitted. How many have a Bible that doesn't have the last part of verse 3 and all of verse 4 in it? And it's thought by scholars that this text is probably not the best Greek, like it was later added. So in the better, more accurate manuscripts, last part of verse 3 and all of verse 4 was not included. Those verses say this, and if you have a Bible like I do, it had footnotes and said, in the best Greek text, this was probably not in it. But verse 3, last part of it, it says this, and they waited for the moving of the water, so there they are at the pool, and from time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters. The first one in the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease that they had. So we don't really know what happened at this pool. Um, because it appears that this was later added, this part of it. All we do know is that disabled people knew to go to Bethesda and hang out there because some way, somehow, something happened that in their perception, that pool heals. At some time, at some point, that pool, if you get in it, you'll be made whole. And so there was all these people with all these problems waiting around, around this place, and into that comes the living water, the healing water, Jesus Christ himself, to a healing pool. And he's interacting with these people. Now, one of, I've read one of several commentaries about this particular miracle. Um, there are a few theories about how this may have happened, this healing water at Bethesda. Uh, one commentator I read said, this may have been a superstitious legend, and yet the hope of healing was real, and God honored the expression of faith. That is, the waters weren't magical, but God said, hey, listen, they're trusting me, so I'm going to use this very odd method. Um, Another commentator said, intermittent springs may have fed the pool and caused the disturbance of the water. So the legend was that an angel came and touched the water and it rumbled. It may have been, though, that there was a pool that caused this disturbance. And uh, some ancient witnesses indicate that the waters of the pool were red with minerals and thus may have had medicinal value to it. 
So there's all these theories. All we do know is that somehow, in a way that we can't explain, these waters seem to have been used to heal those with diseases. And I want you to just pause for a second, because that kind of seems kind of strange that, you know, we could, you know, roll our handicapped friend up to a pool, and if we're the first one to dump him in the water, he's like, woohoo, oh, right? It seems kind of strange, but that would not be the first time, if that's the way it went down, that God used rather strange methods to heal people. Are you aware of that? I mean, sometimes people think, Brian, don't get weird on us. And I'm like, just read the Bible. It's weird. It's great. It's holy, but it's weird. And if you tell me not to get weird, I'm like, then we can't read this book. Or we just have to read it and not act on it. And I'm like, if we act on it, you're going to think it's weird because some of the stuff in the Bible is weird. You're just used to a lot of the weird stuff we do. I mean, when was the last time you got together with a group of your friends and had a tiny little shot glass of wine and a small piece of bread and said, this is the body and blood of Jesus? Or uh, when was the last time you went with a group of people and they just started dunking people in bathtubs or whatever? I mean, this is inherently, Christianity is different. And so what this miracle here, it just fits the unusual means by which God often uses to heal. Uh, for instance, 2 Kings chapter 4, 38-41, Elijah healed a poisonous pot of stew by just adding more flour to it. So they all were eating it, and they're like, there's death in the pot. This will kill us. And Elijah said, give it to me. Throw some flour in. Voila, it's healed. It gets weirder. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 10 to 14. Naaman, who was a Syrian man, had leprosy, and Elijah just said, go tell him to dip seven times, to go down to the Jordan River, dip seven times, and he's going to be healed of his leprosy. And he thought it was wacky. He wasn't going to do it. One of his visors said, hey, what do you got to lose? So he went down there, went in the river, dipped seven times, leprosy, gone. Weird. Second Kings chapter 13 gets even weirder. Verses 20 to 21. There's this group of guys. They, they have a dead friend of theirs, and they see these raiders coming, and so they throw their dead friend into Elisha's tomb. When the dude's dead body touches Elisha's bones, he revives and pops out of the grave. That's weird. You're saying, well, you're just like Old Testament weird, though. New Testament's weird. She, not to mention the stuff that Jesus does. Just talk about the things that Jesus' church did. Acts chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, we're told that Peter's shadow passing by healed the sick. His shadow. Shadow healing. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 12. Paul's sweaty handkerchiefs and work clothes healed the sick and exercised evil spirits. When was the last time you thought of having an exorcism and bringing old gym socks from a man of God? Saying, oh yeah, he sweated in these. They touch your body. The devil comes out of you. That's the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't make this stuff up. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Um, but let's just step back from all of the healing signs and wonders talk for a second and just think about what we all believe, most of us, not all of us, and if you don't believe like we do, by the way, welcome to Emmaus. We're glad that you can journey with us. Um, I'm glad that you feel like you can step into this community and go, like, I, I don't agree with you guys. And I'm like, great, let's continue to journey together. But for the majority of us, we believe that God made the world in the Latin ex nihilo. Any of you ever heard of that term? Which basically means out of nothing. So there was nothing, and God said, now there's going to be something, and there was. 
It's the big bang. God said it and bang, it was, right? So we believe, if you see all these miracles, you go, like, how is that possible? You believe that God said, let there be, and there was nothing to work with, and God made the material, and light came, and earth came, and heaven, and earth, and water, and stars, and sun, and moon. We also believe, as a community, that God came in the form of a man and died and beat death. So if you can believe those two things, he made everything ex nihilo and he raised from the dead, then there really isn't anything too far or too much. So Christianity isn't weird because we practice healing. It's weird just because we believe in a God that's outside of the natural. Amen? I like what St. Augustine said about this. Because so many of us try to base all of our understanding on our rational minds, St. Augustine wrote, Miracles are not in contradiction to nature. They are only in contradiction with what we know of nature, which is quite limited. So here's how this goes down. Jesus comes to this pool. I can just imagine it filled with handicapped folks that are hoping that they get a shot at getting in that water at the right time when it bubbles and they will be the one that gets healed. This guy, perhaps 38 years, and we know he's been crippled for 38 years, has been waiting for 38 years. And Jesus, out of all of the people at the pool that day, picks that man. And he asks him the question, do you want to be made whole? Will you be made whole? And the guy uses some excuses. He's like, well, I don't have anybody to put me in the water when it's time. So apparently all the crippled people had pushers. So if you're, you know, you can't really walk, someone's there ready to shove you in at the right time so that you get in first. He's like, I don't have a shover. I don't have a pusher. And Jesus just commands him, get up, take your bed and walk. And guess what? It works. Guy picks up his yoga mat and walks. And the ironic part of this story, and we don't have time for this, I almost went a whole sermon on this part of it, is that the, the irony of it all is that the religious leaders get mad that a guy's carrying his yoga mat on the Sabbath day. The guy has been an invalid for 38 years, and he didn't get put in that mineral water, and he's walking around, and the only thing you can think of is this may be a violation of one of the Sabbath rules, which, by the way, read Exodus 20 and the Torah. There is no place in Torah where it says that he couldn't carry a burden like this on the Sabbath day. It only says we can do no work, but it was the oral tradition of the elders and the rabbis that actually defined what that meant. This guy broke no law of God. He only broke the law of men. So, they missed beauty for legalism. But what's been burning on my heart, again, as I said, rattling around in my soul this week, has been these two phrases. The first, a question before the man's healed, and second, a command after he's healed. Listen to this for those of you who need healing today. And today I really feel like God wants to do inner healing. And we'll talk a little bit about what that might mean for you. But as we talk about healing today, I want you to hear again, there was something that Jesus said before the man was healed. In preparation to be healed, conditions that met the healing. And there's something that Jesus said to the man after he was healed. There is a pre-healing and a post-healing talk. The pre-healing talk was, to a crippled man, wilt thou, as the King James says it, be made whole? That seems like a very peculiar thing to ask a crippled person. Do you want to be 
whole? You would think the, the answer is automatically yes. But Jesus knew something about people in certain conditions that the answer isn't always yes. Sometimes people are in situations that though they might say they want to be out of, they're really not ready to be made whole. Will you be made whole? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's yes and no. Think of this guy. In the Eastern world in Israel, this guy made a pretty decent living from all that research and scholarship has told us as a beggar. Crippled legs are great marketing to make money as a beggar. You got to look pretty bad if you're going to get more money. The worse off you are, the more money you get. So for this man to consider what it would mean after 38 years to get up and walk means that he's going to leave something he's very familiar with. It's broken, it's difficult, it's hard, but it's what he knows. And he has as much to lose as he does to gain if he's made whole. Because if he's made whole, he loses his livelihood. If he's made whole, he loses his norm. This is what this man knows. He loses his community and his way of life. And there are broken people that recognize physically and emotionally and internally, I probably am broken, but my identity is wrapped up in my brokenness. And after 38 years, it would be very easy to be wrapped up in an identity that was broken. It'd be very easy to, to believe yourself to be your brokenness. So Jesus asks actually not a, as ridiculous of a question as it might sound at first. Will you be made whole? Are you ready to transition from this set of circumstances and be made whole by Jesus Christ? Because sometimes you can recognize that something is painful, destructive, and wrong, but can't imagine life without it. The world of psychology has a term for this. It's called being institutionalized. The Cambridge Dictionary defines being institutionalized this way. If someone becomes institutionalized, they gradually become less able to think and act independently because of having lived for a long time under the rules of an institution. And if you ever saw the 1994 film Shawshank Redemption, pretty salty language but a good story, there's one of the prisoners named Brooks, who's one of the older guys, and there's a point where he's about to be paroled after 50 years of being in prison at Shawshank. And right before he's about to be paroled, he's very anxious about it. He attacks one of the other prisoners so that they will rearrest him and recommit him back to that prison. And there's a point where uh, Red, you know, the, 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 the Morgan Freeman character, played by Morgan Freeman, is explaining to another one of the inmates why Brooks would have done something like this. And I thought it was interesting what he says. He says, the man has been in here 50 years. This is all he knows in here. He's an important man. He's an educated man. In here, outside, he's nothing. Just a used up con with arthritis in both hands. Couldn't even get a library card if he applied. But then he drops this line. And I want, I want all of us to listen to this one, especially as we think of brokenness on the outside, on the inside. These walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them, 
And then enough time passes and you get so that you depend on them. I believe that Jesus has come for the institutionalized. Those who have so identified with their brokenness that it has become a part of your identity that you honestly don't really want to be made whole. And an honest talk from you would be, you know, I'm just so comfortable in this norm that after 38 years of this habit and this way of living, I don't honestly know if I would know what to do without it. Imagining my life without this brokenness is harder than imagining my life free from it. And there are several ways that we can become institutionalized or the kind of men and women who would say, I'm not sure I'm ready to be made whole. Addictions can work this way. People caught up in a cycle of addiction can not really know how to be free from that which has become their normal and their comfort. Bad relationships can work this way. If you've ever met a, 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 a person who's in an abusive relationship and you wonder why they keep going back to their abuser, it's because they're not ready to be made whole because that person is their norm. Unhealthy and broken and ruining their lives, but they keep going back to the drug and the alcohol and the destructive behavior and the destructive person because they've become dependent on an identity that is broken. And only Jesus can stir that up. Certain vocations can work this way. You're just, you've always done this kind of work. Physical and emotion, emotional brokenness can work this way. It's broken, but it's what we know. And we ask the questions this morning, the searching spirit of God, Father, if I'm going to be made whole of whatever it is that is broken in my life, you have to, by the Holy Spirit, convince me that wholeness is better than brokenness. That Jesus is better than what I'm living in right now. That life can be better on the other side of this. And I really know that there are people here that are caught in the cycle of brokenness. That need inner healing and outer healing. That wouldn't know what to do with themselves. They wouldn't know who they were apart from it. You know, I've been around people you know, my whole life. You know, that's a funny thing. You get born and then you're around people your whole life. Um, but I've been around people in church my whole life, most of my adult life. I just had 40-year birthday yesterday, and so it's like, you know, thank you. There's some compassion in some of your voices. Woo, uh, poor guy, he knows he's now over the hill. Um, and being around church, especially a long time, I, I, I would develop relationships with certain people at the con in the congregation, not here, but other churches, um, and those people were in a cycle of brokenness. And I'd know them for years. And every time I talked to them, it was the same thing. So I literally, there was, there was a couple of people I had the same conversation with every Sunday. They would be waiting for me to update me on the same old, tired story they told me the week before. And with compassion, I would listen. I would grab the elders. We would pray. We would ask God, we would anoint with oil, we would do the things we knew, and then the next week, same thing, they'd be waiting around to tell me more about their broken story. And their relationship with me, their relationship with our church, and their entire identity was wrapped up in that. I mean, name your thing. We had people with physical ailments. Every time I talked to them, it was, they are talking about their body. There were people with uh, brokenness in their marriages. Every time I talked to them, it was about their marriage. 
people with addictions, people with sin problems, people with kid problems. Name your problem, they would be waiting to talk to me about that same thing. Until finally, I started asking the question that Jesus asked this man, do you actually want to be made whole? And not trying to be a jerk, but just saying, how many years is our relationship going to be all about this? How long are you going to carry this as an identity? Are you ready to be made whole? And that's when the real stuff starts happening. You start, you start probing into deeper places into someone's heart and, and almost to say, I think you like the attention. I think you don't know who you are apart from this. I think that you have developed a social kind of ineptness that keeps you stuck somewhere because this is the way that everybody knows you. They attach your name with this issue. Listen, brothers and sisters, our name should be attached to the wholeness that Jesus brings, not to our issues. We all have issues, but that is not my identity. Name my issues. I have some issues. Those are not me. Those are the issues where I've been laying going, oh, Jesus, would you make me whole? And it's believing that it is possible that you could get over the stuff that right now is over you. But only the Holy Spirit can identify that in each one of us. We have to be honest with ourselves and ask the question, have I become comfortable with a condition that Jesus would heal me from? And maybe this morning, you know, your answer is is honestly, I'm not sure if I'm ready. That's a better answer. We just need honesty here. The church is a place for honesty. And if you're not ready, then we would love to say, okay, let's talk about what the issue is and ask Jesus to somehow show you that you could be free from this and it would be better. But if you would say today, no, I'm, I'm ready to be made whole. I do not want to continue to self-identify as the person who's been divorced, the person who has this illness, the person who had a broken childhood, the person who keeps sinning in this way. I, I want to do something else. I want to, I want to get up out of this, off this yoga mat and go and live the life that Jesus has me to be living. So as the story goes forward, Jesus announces the man's healing. He gets up and starts walking, carrying his bed, And Jesus slips away from the crowd. So that when the religious leaders say, hey, you, walking, carrying a yoga mat on the Sabbath day, they blow the whistle on him, come here. Why are you doing this? You've broken the law. And by the way, who is this person who did this to you? Who healed you? The guy didn't even know Jesus' name. Which reminds me, this guy was not a theologian full of a lot of faith. It didn't really take much for this guy to get healing. He didn't even know the name of Jesus. He couldn't call on it. All it took it was Jesus to command him to be whole. But then after that interaction with the religious leaders, Jesus then goes and finds the man again in the temple. And look at what he says to him in verse 14. He asks him a question before he's healed. He then gives him a command after he's healed. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, what does this mean? I mean, was this man's crippledness attached to sin? Can sin make us physically sick? Are there some illnesses that we would say that's attached to sin? 
a lot of the Bible commentators believe, at least for this man, that Jesus was indicating that his sin was based on a loose moral lifestyle he was living before this incident happened, either drunkenness or sexual immorality. So it's almost as if Jesus is saying, I know you got crippled because of a drunk driving accident. Don't do that again. Or I know you, this, this came on you because of an STD and you were made crippled by an STD. Don't go back into that lifestyle. It could get worse. See, the Bible says things like in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be balked. A man will sow what he reaps. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap life. So there are some cause and effects. So when we think about this kind of, why would Jesus have told this man, stop sinning lest something worse happen to you? It may have just been, he's identifying, I know the lifestyle you were living that brought you to this place. Because Jesus is a prophet, more than a prophet, but he had a prophetic gift. He had prophetic utterance. And so he could know a man who's older than he is and say, your life before this was being lived in such a way that the condition you're currently in was caused by that lifestyle. Don't go back there. That's one layer of the message. The other is just this open-ended question of, are there times when sin leads to sickness? I would say, first of all, not always. You could, you could really hurt people by assuming their sickness was leaked to sin. There are times when even Jesus' disciples, John chapter 9, there's a blind dude, born blind. And the disciples are like, in this theology, is it this guy's sin or his parents? Who sinned to cause this man to be blind? And Jesus says, neither. Not this man's sin, not his parents' sin. This was done so that the glory of God might be seen. Job is another perfect example of someone who everybody thought, it's got to be sin somewhere for you to be in such bad shape. Your kids are all dead. Your, 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 your business is all dried up. Everything is ruined. You've got boils. You're sitting on a dunghill. Job, what kind of sin have you committed? Because God doesn't let people who are sinless sit on dunghills and scrape their boils and lose everything. Want to bet? There's a whole story behind this, right? We know that now. But I would also challenge you to think that there are times that sin and sickness are connected. Not every time, not always. They're sowing and reaping stuff. You did this, you take, you drunk drive, you hit a tree, you could die, kill others, be injured. That's cause and effect. God didn't do that, you did. There are times when someone is ill and we say, it's not their sin or the sin of anybody, this is something else. But I do believe, according to scripture, that there are times when God would say, you're not well because there is sin here and sin makes you ill. Psalm 32, we read last week, David writes of physical maladies he had in connection with unconfessed sin. Read Psalm 32. Read the whole thing. Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals a paralytic man. Before he physically heals him, he gives him some inner healing. He says, your sins are forgiven, son. Because there was a connection between what was going on in this guy's soul and his body. He gives the inner healing before he gives the outer healing. James chapter 5, James links confession of sins with bodily healing. Read James chapter 5. Read that piece of James chapter 5 where James specifically talks about bodily healing. He leaks sin and sickness together. Right here in John chapter 5 to this crippled man, Jesus said, don't go sin again lest something worse happen to you. But 1 Corinthians 11 is one of the most intense passages on this. 
It's when Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper. We talked about this at, last week at communion. But there was a time in the Corinthian church where they were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were getting drunk and overeating and cutting in front of people and getting all the food at the potluck and no one else was getting to eat, especially the poor. And Paul addresses them and he says, you know, there are some in here in, in the Corinthian church that are sick and some who have died because they did not give worth or honor, they didn't show worth to the Lord's Supper. Actually, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup, lest we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. Well, that makes people like really afraid to take communion, thinking, I don't know if I'm worthy to take communion. The issue, though, the, dis, the, the, the judgment that Paul is talking about, he clarifies, he says that this judgment is discipline. He says, when you are judged in this way by the Lord, you're being disciplined so that you will not finally be condemned with the world. And the Bible has a lot to say about the discipline of the Lord. Hebrews 12 says he disciplines for our good that we might participate in his holiness. I do think, though, from a reading of Scripture, and you can do your own research, do not take my word for it. Read your Bible. I mean, sometimes I might say something, you might go, oh, Brian, I don't know if that's true. I'm like, great, you are welcome to disagree with me. I, I hope that you do. Study the Bible and let us, let us reason together. But I, I do see three layers here. There's the cause and effect. Sometimes you're, you're in the situation you're at because you have made sinfully bad, unwise decisions. There are other times when it isn't sin in your life at all. And there may be other times when the Lord said, it's this thing. And quite frankly, I don't think that if you're suffering with a physical ailment because of something you're doing and it's God's disciplining hand, that you aren't aware of it. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't guess that I'm praying for a sick person. I say, you know, is there any sin in your life? You'd be like, man, I'm not aware of any. Then I'm going to just assume, unless you're lying to me, that this isn't the issue we're dealing with. But I love, so, you know, I, I, sometimes when I'm studying for Sundays, I'll read multiple translations. And one that I frequent is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the Message Bible. And I love how Eugene Peterson puts what Jesus said to the crippled man after he was healed and he found him in the temple. Eugene Peterson translates his paraphrase this way. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said, you look wonderful, you're well. So very, like, it changes the tone and tenor, right? You look wonderful, you're well. Don't return to a sinning life or something worse might happen. And uh, I just have this sense that this morning that the Lord just wants to dig deep with us. That he, he wants to ask us all the hard questions about our situations in our life. Whatever we're dealing with, especially the inner stuff, and I, and I really believe that the Lord wants to ask us the, the, the penetrating question, wilt thou be made whole? Are you ready to be free from the stuff that's got you? And I think, Adamaeus, we need to be relentless for your wholeness. I'm not sure that every physical malady will be healed this side of heaven because you're going to die of something. Sorry, but you are. But what I am convinced of is that I will never be at peace with things that are not right in the soul. I can't be. Are we going to be perfect when we get to heaven? Absolutely not. The blood of Jesus covers all of our sin. But I think sometimes we use that as a dodge to say, I guess I'm just going to be this way till glory. 
No. No. Jesus did not die on the cross and win from the grave so that you could keep losing in life. Jesus was not a loser, and you're not a loser. Jesus was not one who walked around with issues, and you don't have to be either. We live the life that Jesus lived because he died the death we could not die and won victory over the grave so that we would not have to keep losing in the areas that he said, I have won. And God has made you a winner more than a conqueror through Christ. So let's not mess around here, y'all. If stuff ain't right inside of you, Jesus wants to make you whole. From your past hurts, from your current hurts, from your insecurities, from the stuff that you keep on talking about. The Lord wants to make us whole. I mean, he would look at this group, and I'm sure he would ask some of you, kindly and confrontationally, are you ready to be done with that? And you have to be honest with Jesus today and either say, absolutely, Lord. I can't keep living like a victim and a loser and I can't keep getting triumphed over by this past hurt or this current brokenness. Whatever it might be, the addiction or whatever, no, Jesus Christ makes you whole. Jesus Christ wants to set you free. Now, in a church that plays church, I wouldn't push like this. I'd be like trying to get the sermon real cute and clever, say a little poem about a grandma or a dog at the end, and then we'd pray and I'd send you on your way. But we're not that kind of church. Um, You know, I didn't come 3,000 miles away from my home in Oregon to play around. Um, You know, this morning I really felt the people that are supposed to be at church to hear this message are going to be here this morning. Everybody else wasn't supposed to hear this. It's the people that are in the seats right now that we're supposed to hear this. And I probably don't have to stretch a long way to know you know what's going on with you. And you know when it's not well in your soul. And this is the loving Lord saying, you don't have to lay by this pool the rest of your life. You know that. Well, Lord, I don't have anybody. And he says, hold on, I'm here. But what about I'm here? And and I believe that today that Jesus wants to start the digging deep inside. And by answering the question that Jesus asks us by saying, yes, Lord, I want to be whole. I want to be rid of this. I don't want to live like this anymore. That Jesus wants to do some things. And there may be some, I'm not sure of this, who are physically struggling with something that goes far beyond the body and it goes deep down. You know, for a while, I, I've talked to you guys about this. I was dealing with anxiety, and I was losing sleep, so I, was, I developed insomnia. I was dealing with um, really bad, like, ulcer, like, like nasty, like, just my insides were all churning all the time. And uh, it was a physical malady. Like, I wasn't sleeping well. I was having Shannon rub lavender oil on my feet just to help me sleep and all this stuff, and, and it wasn't working. And I was like, I don't even believe in these essential oils. Sorry for all of you. Um, it's just a placebo effect. It's not working. Um, and, and you know what the Lord, the Lord really showed me? That it's, it's something, it's, it's, not, it's not your body. It's your body reacting to your soul. And I wonder how many, I wonder if there's some people here today that their body is reacting to their soul. Something's wrong inside, and Jesus wants to make you whole. So, I'm going to ask the worship team, where are you guys? You guys come up. And, uh, and, and I'll, during this time of singing, we're going to sing this song. And uh, 
I want everybody to stay seated unless you are very clearly aware that I need to do business with the Lord today and I believe Jesus wants to make me whole. I'm gonna ask you to do a relatively gutsy thing and just stand. That's about as gutsy as we're gonna get this morning. You're just gonna stand up. Um, And then we wanna pray for you. We're not gonna do anything weird. We're not gonna try to cast anything out of you. Um, I mean, if something's in you, then may Jesus cast it out in his name. But we're just gonna say we believe that the Lord, and what you're doing by standing, a simple act to say, I'm ready to be made whole. I can't keep dealing with this anxiety. I can't keep dealing with these past hurts. I'm not gonna continue to self-identify with things that Jesus would free me from. I'm not gonna be institutionalized. I'm not gonna get stuck in systems and in thought processes and, 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 and maladies that Jesus wants to heal me from. So I believe for bodily healing and for soul healing today, for inner healing, and this is a part two. This is the, the digging deeper inside your soul. So as we sing this, I'm sure that you already know if you're supposed to stand up and get prayer. And most of the time we do that on the wall over here. We're not doing that today. Today we're going to say, look, front and center, we're family. We need to pray for each other. And I'm not going to ask you to bare your soul or tell us every one of your dirty little secrets. But I'm just going to have you stand. And we want to identify that Jesus is doing something in your heart. And it may be that he wants to set you free today. So there may be nobody standing, and that's fine if you're honestly able to say, I I don't need today to do this. But there may be others of you that go, I would be being disobedient. You know, it was interesting last week, um, not to embarrass this person, so I won't tell you who it was, but somebody met me last week after Sunday and said, I was disobedient last week. I didn't come up for prayer. Because I was dealing with I'm not worthy issues. I was dealing with, is this what God really wants me to do? Could God heal someone like me? And all these things that, that had to do with them. And they finally just got some fr- a friend to look them in the eye and said, you just need to overcome your disobedience and let Jesus be Jesus over your life. And, and, and I know it's a spiritual war. But I'm praying that some of you would just say, you know, I am not going to keep living like this. I will not spend 38 years at this pool. If Jesus wants to make me whole that I'm going to receive his wholeness today. So as we sing this song one time through, everybody else stay seated, even if you're feeling the music, um, for those who just are saying, Jesus, I'm identifying with my need, and then we just want to pray for you. So let's sing this song and stand as you feel led.